Welcome to the Life by Design, Not Default podcast. I'm Paige. And I'm Elaine. And we want to talk about all things life, business, and beyond. This podcast is for anyone done with the mediocre and ready to design a life that is meaningful, impactful, and fun. And we want to know, how are you living your life by design? Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Life by Design, Not Default podcast. We are here with a friend named Terry Kozlowski. She is a Native American certified life coach, blogger, and the author of Raven Transcending Fear and founder of Soul Solutions. She specializes in empowering women by teaching them to set personal boundaries, reframe the stories they tell themselves, overcome their fears, and push past their limiting beliefs. Part memoir, part self-help guide, Terry's book is a raw and personal story of diving deep into childhood trauma, dealing with the terror before ultimately getting comfortable with fear and transcending it. On her successful podcast and YouTube channel, Soul Solutions, she delves into the soul and offers bite-sized takeaways for controlling our egos and emotions. Terry holds a BS in social science, has written for the Thrive Global and Medium, appeared on over 45 podcasts, and has spoken to groups from five to 600. She has helped over 1,500 people with her hard-earned wisdom. Terry lives in Woodstock, Georgia with her husband and pampered chihuahua, Lilu. <laughs> Welcome, Terry. Thank you very much. It's fabulous to be here. I have yes. a chihuahua too. Her name is Chloe. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> Mine's actually laying in my lap sound asleep. Oh. oh, that's lovely. That is so lovely. We are so excited that you were able to spend some time with us, especially during this busy time. For those of you, uh, if you're listening in real time, it's over the holidays. Um, and I love the fact that you help people kind of set boundaries and you know we all need those during the holidays what would be some tips for people who have a hard time doing that especially when they're now we're able to get together with family and friends personal boundaries is something that most people don't understand is an act of self-care and we have to put them in place to protect ourselves from either negative energy other people's drama or for me I had to learn to do it because I had an alcoholic mother who would call me and then berate me on the telephone and I hadn't done anything. And so I had to learn that for me, the hardest boundary set was mom, you're drunk. I'm not going to talk to you and hang up the phone and then sink to the floor. The first time it happened um, in tears because I wasn't honoring my mother. Mm. And we have a lot of those generational beliefs and patterns of behavior that are instilled in us that it doesn't matter who the person is, your mother and your father, your grandmother, your uncle, they're not supposed to be allowed to harm you. Mm -hmm. And my mother was harming me. So if somebody is harming you, putting up a personal boundary is that protection for yourself saying that I am more important than to allow that person to harm me again. Mm. And so that's the essence of what personal boundaries are. And it's, it can be really, really hard to put into yeah. place. And when you start talking about the holidays, you, you yeah. know, everybody has that uncle or that aunt that is obnoxious and says things that they should never say. And it's about either pointing out, you know, uncle Phil don't do that, or it's making sure that 
you go around and say, if you do, you need to apologize. You know, that, that was unkind. You need to apologize for that. Mm -hmm. Or yeah. you can leave mm -hmm. or you can yeah. leave. I mean, you have the option to leave. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I thank you so much for, I mean, you said that so succinctly, Terry, um, because I think there's a really funny meme going around on Instagram and TikTok where someone says, some, a family member says something that's inappropriate. And then it's all it is, is just the phone ringing over and over again. And then the person saying, this is me not answering my family because I said, don't say those kinds of mm -hmm. things to me. Right. And it's like that family pressure can be so difficult, but it is about taking care of yourself and self-preservation, yeah. you know, and, and like you said, a lot of those generational habits um, and trauma, it, it just perpetuates unless you can stand up for yourself. Mm -hmm. And, you know, for me, I actually had to put into place where I didn't speak to my mother and it was the best thing for me and really for my family, because, you know, when I would allow my mother to talk to me and she would berate me and I would get all upset, it harmed my family and they could, didn't understand what in the world happened because I'm on the telephone. They're not hearing what she's saying to me. And you know, I don't want to repeat what she said to me because I'm not going to affirm what she was saying because I know that they were lies. But being able to say, you know what, the best thing for me and my family is not to communicate with her. And then understanding that I was still honoring her. I still called her my mother. And if she wasn't drunk, I did communicate with her, but mm -hmm. there were boundaries put in place and yeah. for my safety and for, for my family. It reminds me of, um, when my son played a uh, little league and uh, my father showed up intoxicated at a baseball game. And I had to say, drunk grandpa cannot come to the baseball games. Mm -hmm. <gasps> like I'm telling my father that he cannot come and watch his grandson play baseball. And I was like, I literally wanted to sink into the floor, like you mentioned, mm -hmm. because that is very uncomfortable and awkward to have that conversation because I'm the child and you're the parent. And I felt like I was switching roles and becoming the parent and saying, no, you cannot do that. Oh my God. Like, <laughs> I mean, thankfully my dad has been sober now for oh my gosh, probably nine years or so, Wonderful. And, but it, mm, it was, that was hard. And I had to have hard conversations with my dad in order to get to him where he is now. But it was like, oh my gosh, you know, and with yeah. family, sometimes it's the simplest conversations that become so hard because yeah. there it's really about, you know, you know, dad, you've always been a bully to me. I now have children. I don't want you to be a bully to them. Mm -hmm. So we need to have a conversation about how you communicate to others when you're upset. Because when yeah. you're upset is only is the only time it happens. So mm -hmm. when you're upset, maybe you come through the door differently. Maybe you come through the door and say, you know what? I had a really bad day. And you go be by yourself for a while before you come interact with us. Mm -hmm. And there, there are ways that you can have that conversation, but you have to do it, number one, when they're sober, when they're calm, not in the heat of them doing something because they're not going to wow. see it then mm -hmm. because they're they're at whatever they're going through is, you know, the center of attention. So you have to do it when everything is calm and everything's peaceful and say, you know, we need to have a serious conversation. Yeah. We have, I have an issue that I think we can easily resolve because we all want what's best for each other. 
because mm-hmm. we love one another. So this is coming from a place of love for yeah. the best interest of everybody involved. Mm-hmm. And if you come that way, mm-hmm. sometimes the conversation can go a lot easier. Yeah. And I found putting it on myself instead of finger pointing sort of thing too, mm-hmm. like it was, you know, um, I feel, and, you know, um, I'm just thinking about, you know, a conversation that I had to have with my husband and I put it on myself and I was like, this is how I'm feeling. I don't know if you mean it for me to feel that way, but this is how I'm taking it. So correct me if I'm, if you didn't mean it to be that way, mm-hmm. correct me so that I can understand your intentions. Cause it's hard to understand someone's intentions, you know? Absolutely. And you can't read other people's minds, right? I'm not a mind reader. And that's, that's and, what we, we tell each other that all the time. I'm not a mind reader. You're not a mind reader. This is what I mm-hmm. meant. This is what I right. hope you meant. <laughs> and, and that is part of that conversation that we have is realizing that how we feel isn't the responsibility of the other person. Correct. It's our responsibility. So yes. we have to be able to say, this is how I feel. And I know you did these things and you may not have it all intended for me to take it this way, Mm -hmm. but this is how I took it. And this is why I took it that way. For me, I have huge abandonment issues because of things that happened with my mother when I was child. And because of that, I think everybody's going to leave. So when somebody, when my husband and I first got married and we would have an argument, I always thought that when he walked away, because he would get angry and walk away his reasoning for walking away was, I don't want this to escalate. Very valid, very good reason to walk away. But he didn't tell me that. He just mm-hmm. walked away. So for me, oh my God, he's leaving. Right. Okay? Because that's my issue. It's not his issue. It's my issue. Mm-hmm. So when we finally sat down and said, look, when we argue, it's okay for us to argue because we can get heated. We can all have our own passionate opinions about things. But when you walk away from me, you need to do one of two things. Tell me that you're upset and you need to calm down so we can have a calm conversation. Otherwise I'm going to think you're leaving. Yeah. And so that I don't then escalate it to someplace that it doesn't need to be. And I just, okay, you need a few minutes to calm down. Fine. I probably need a few minutes too to calm myself down and then have that conversation, come back and have that conversation. So it's understanding that we're only responsible for our perspective. We're only responsible for our emotions. They're responsible for theirs. Yeah. And sometimes we take on other people's emotions when, especially in a family dynamic, because yeah. then I said this and they said that, and you know, we start escalating things and we don't realize that we're causing part of that escalation mm-hmm. by the words, by the word choices, by how loud we're getting, how emotional we're getting, or how the tone of voice we're using. Are we staying calm? Are we using our inside voice? Mm-hmm. Are we coming from a place of love to try to resolve this? Or are we coming out of a place of fear yes. because, because of how we're dealing because of our own past? Mm-hmm. Oh, I love yeah. that. Mm-hmm. Talk to us, talk to us a little bit more about your book, Raven Transcending Fear, because you really give, you know, really good stories and really good anecdotes and really good tips on how to overcome the fear or not really overcome, but work through the fear. Talk to our listeners about that a little bit. So Raven Transcending Fear is my personal story of overcoming childhood trauma that was caused by my mother. Um, my parents divorced when I was eight. My dad got custody. And we didn't see my mother until I was 11. 
we had one visit between the age of eight and 11, and it was like less than 12 hours. And we went to visit her was supposed to be for the summer break. And the first two weeks were fabulous. Some of the best memories I have of my mother occurred in those two weeks. Then she started drinking and all hell broke loose and she spiraled quickly. And I reverted back to when I was five, six and I very codependent, taking care of mommy. When mommy threw up, I cleaned it up because I didn't want daddy to find out and didn't want her to get in trouble. So, you know, all that protective codependency behavior was coming through. I was serving drinks. She would pass out. I cover her up, all of that good stuff. And then she had a party one night and what nobody knew before this visit was she had become a drug addict and she allowed three men to sexually molest me so she could have free drugs. And she stood in the corner and watched it. Now, thankfully, my little mind, 11-year-old mind, was able to uh, keep that from me so I could deal with the main trauma. And later on, when I was 16, I realized that she was in the room watching and had to deal, go through that. But then my mom disappeared. They drugged my sister. She slept for four days, on the four, uh, three days. On the fourth day, my mother reappeared. And... Um, came back to the little efficiency apartment and said, um, like nothing was wrong, like nothing happened and handed me her paycheck. Cause we had a little routine where, uh, my sister and I keep in mind, I'm 11. My sister's 10. We're in downtown Albuquerque, New Mexico. Not the good part of New Mexico, not a good part of Albuquerque, the bad part of town. And I'm walking to the grocery store, cashing her paycheck um, getting a money order to pay the weekly rent and buy groceries. And I'm taking everything back to, to her place and give her the groceries and we go to pay the rent. And when we come back to the efficiency uh, apartment, my mother's standing outside with our suitcases and says to us, it's time for you to go home, goes back in the door and locks the door. My sister breaks down crying and snap in my head was my dad saying to me, take care of your baby sister. And that, in that moment was able to gather me enough to figure out, okay, now I need to do something. I got her calmed down and we started the process of getting home. And the next day we were back in Pennsylvania. Um, so yeah, <laughs> my dad was really good at, you know, when I made that phone call to my dad, daddy, we need to come home. And I don't know if I told him we got kicked out. I don't remember much of that conversation. There, one thing was I, we need to come home. And then he said, you know, I, are you in a safe place? I said, kind of, because yes, but no, I wasn't. And I also knew that, uh, and he said, I, can I call you back? I need to make arrangements. Yes. So I gave him the phone number. And when he called back, he asked, um, he said, we had an air flight the next morning. Did we have a place to stay? And I said, yes, we did. And he asked me if I had a ride to the airport. And I immediately said yes. And yet none of the people that were around us had vehicles. And the day that we arrived in New Mexico, my mother showed up with a lovely gentleman named Alan. Alan was my angel. Alan was a uh, nuclear physicist from Los Alamos. Uh, I remember him wearing a fabulous cowboy hat, big buckle and cowboy boots and thought he was just fabulous. Have no idea why in the world he was with my alcoholic mother. Um, they had been together for a while, but hadn't been together for years, but he picked us up 
with my mother, took us up to uh, on the tram uh, to the Sandy's Peak for a lovely dinner. And as he was dropping us off at the efficiency apartment, he handed me his business card and said to me, if you need anything, anything at all, you call me. And I called Alan and by God, was he there an hour early to pick us up, to take us to the airport. Never heard, he walked us onto the airplane, never heard or seen Alan again. Wow. He was an angel that showed up into my life when exactly when I needed it. And I believe that we all, when we're children, we come into this world very aware. We know who we are. We know what our purpose is in life and that we know that we're connected to source. And as we grow, that shuts down in us. And if we have trauma, that really shuts us down. Mm -hmm. And Alan, me recognizing what Alan was at the time was one of the last things that I remember being completely open about before I completely shut down after the trauma. Mm -hmm. So the book tells you about that. And then it tells you about my transcending the fear and my walk uh, and journey through the healing process. And we all have trauma that we go through. And I do think it's very sad, but I do think all families cause us trauma because it is when we come into this world, that one unknown, that one thing that, you know, we come in knowing who we are and yet our family tells us who we are. Our family will say, you know, my husband was told he was um, Polish. We've done 23 and me and ancestry. He is, there's no Polish blood in him, but you know, Kozlowski is a very Polish name, but he's not Polish. So we get told things and labels get to put upon us. And we get told that we're going to be good girls or good boys. And when we're not, then there's a whole other aspect. Now you're the black sheep, you're, you know, you're all these other things. And yet the reality is we all want to be our authentic selves. And when I talk to the two of you, you want me to be my authentic self as I have this interview with you, just like I want you to be. And when we have true conversations with people, that's what they want. They want us to see, they want to see our vulnerability. They want to see us to be authentically human. And yet we put on these masks and armor and the labels and we cover up who we authentically are. And I think that's what midlife crises are. I think is we all come to a place in life's journey where we say, I really hate who I am. This is not who I am. I don't like this person that I've become. And we start to really take off the mask and armor. And we find out truly who our real friends are, who our true family is, who that tribe of people are that are there to support us, even at our ugliest moments and love us, even when we can't support them and because we're having dealing with our traumas. Mm. And yet those people are always around us. We just open our eyes and realize that all of our lives, there have always been people in our lives who love and support us just who, for who we authentically are for no other reason than that we're there. Mm -hmm. I'm curious about the connection with the Raven. Can you talk <laughs> a little bit more about that? Sure. So my, I'm Native American mm -hmm. and uh, it's an Athabascan uh, Tinglet Raven clan. So um, in the Northwest coast, my mother was born eight miles inside the Arctic circle inside of Fort Yukon, Alaska. And she had lived sustenance living until she was about 16 years old, where she was given up for adoption and moved to the white man's world. And my mother always told my sister and I, we were native American, always told us we were Athabascan, but that was about it. 
And because of her identity being ripped from her, she had to go to the white man's school. She had to dress in, in pretty little dresses. All of her authentic Native American-ness was taken away from her, not out of spite, but out of love. She was adopted by Christian missionaries. So any of her beliefs were now substituted for Christianity. So who she authentically was really was ripped away from her. And she didn't know how to deal with it. Mm -hmm. I don't, and most of us at 16 probably wouldn't be able to deal with it either. And, you know, by the time she was graduated high school, she was an alcoholic and that's how she dealt with things. She stuffed it because you have to be a good girl. Mm -hmm. And by outward appearances, she was a functional alcoholic. She held down a job all of her life. Um, So she was a functional alcoholic, but she was still an alcoholic and it escalated. The more pain she was in, the more alcohol, more drugs she used. And she absolutely never learned to deal with the pain. Mm. And which is the sad part of, of the story is that she never learned to deal with it. And I made sure that the moment I found I was pregnant, my first thought was, oh my gosh, I'm going to pass all this yuck onto him. <laughs> and so I worked really, really hard to make sure that he was not affected by my trauma and that I was breaking those generational patterns of behavior. So the Raven is the Raven clan. And when I started doing research into my heritage, part of what I ended up understanding was in the Northwest coast, the Raven is the bringer of light. He brings the sun to the world, to humanity. And I grabbed a hold of that really strongly because I was seeking light. And the sad part is we always look outside of ourselves for all our answers. When the reality, everything that we ever need is within us, our light is within us. And if we allow it to shine, it's very healing for us. All the questions we ever ask, I found out a lot of the questions are the wrong questions to ask because we always ask the why me question and why me is the wrong question because the ego keeps us stuck looking at why me, because that keeps us stuck and attached to the past and not at all moving forward to our healing. The correct question to ask is now what? Now that this bad stuff has happened, now what am I gonna do about it? Mm -hmm. Now what am I gonna do? Am I, now am I going to empower myself to move forward or am I going to stay in my victimhood and stay victimized and traumatized and stay focused on the past and in my depression? Or am I going to do that? What I did, I was depressed and then I did a complete 180 and became very anxious about the future. Because when you decide, okay, I'm not going to live in the past, then you start looking to your future and your future is really scary because I don't know how to deal with any of that because all of this stuff didn't teach me how to deal with any of that. So then you become very anxious about your future. And what I realized was if I just stayed in the present moment in the here and now, everything's okay. Mm-hmm. I don't, if I don't worry about, if I plan for the future, but don't worry about the future as I get there. I'll have the answers because in the present, I have all the answers because all the answers are within me. So the other aspect of the Raven is that from the Northwest Coast experience, but if you look at the Bible, the Raven is actually the first bird that Noah releases from the ark and it doesn't come back because it's very resourceful. And so the Raven not only is the bringer of light, it's also very resourceful and has, and is able to find the answers that it needs. The other part of that is a lot of negativity associated with the raven because it's 
a lot, you know, Edgar Allan Poe did a fantastic job with the Nevermore story. And when all is said and done, they, and it being all black, they think the Raven is, had a lot to do with death. But the reality is the Raven does show up at death, but for a very specific purpose to take that spirit into the next realm. It's about transcending this world and moving into the spirit realm. Mm. You know, it's interesting. I have a, a very interesting story and I don't know if it was a raven or a crow. It's really hard for me to tell the difference between the two birds, but it was, I think, bigger than a crow. So I, in my mind, say that it was a raven because I really honestly don't know. But I was dealing with sciatica, right? And this bird showed up inside my house on three separate occasions, one for me, one for my son and one for my husband. And I was like, what is going on here? Like, this is so bizarre. A bird in my house. Okay. Causing havoc and making a mess. Cause you can imagine what that's like. Mm -hmm. And, um, I had a friend say the bird is rep is there. It's represent it's representing something. And so when she told me, she's like, you know, look at this bird, look at this bird. And she goes, and it will like unknowingly just come to you. And I was doing the dishes and all of a sudden the thought popped in my head of it's representing my pain. Right. And then guess what? When my pain went away, the bird never came back. This mm-hmm. bird has never been in my house again, ever. Like what? Like it was <laughs> so crazy, right? Like people are like, uh-uh. my son actually got it on Snapchat because he was late for school because there was a bird in the house. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so very interesting um, to hear a little bit more about the Raven, which is kind of, why I was like, mm, I really want to ask more about that. Cause it totally <laughs> makes sense that the Raven shows up as a, like to take it with them sort exactly. of thing. Yeah. So, yeah. so fascinating. Thanks for sharing that. Absolutely. Yeah. So, um, so one of the questions that we always ask our guests is how have you created a life by design and not default? That took time because we all, you know, especially someone who's had trauma goes through life on default setting because part of one of the analogies I use in the book is a thorny blanket. And we all, you know, after trauma, we all want to cuddle up in in our little blanket and be snuggly and safe. And when we realize that, you know, I think it could be safe for me to take off this blanket now, but what we don't realize is that blanket had thorns in it when we put it on, those are those, um, defense mechanisms that we put in place, those, uh, limiting beliefs that we have to keep us safe. And as we take off the thorny blanket, what we don't realize is that we have gaping wounds and we have oozing places and some caring person comes up behind you and rubs your back. You're like, ouch, that hurts because that's that open wound that never was touched before because you had the thorny blanket on. So a lot of people sadly put on that thorny blanket again, because that's familiar pain. That's that default setting. And a lot of people go back to that because they know what that feels like. They don't like it, but it's familiar and familiar for the ego is good. And the unfamiliar is scary to the ego because it doesn't know what's on the other side of that. But everything in life is on the other side of your fear. Everything that is good is on the other side of that thorny blanket of that gaping wound of that healing process. And 
learning to realize that I want a better life. And the only way to have a better life is to remove that thorny blanket, get off of that default setting and learn to transcend the fear that holds you back from living the best life you can possibly have. So for me, it was taking off the thorny blanket and then not putting it back on when it got uncomfortable. Yeah, that's so good. That's so good. Paige, you want to ask the next question? Yeah, I would love to. So one of the other things that we are real big proponents of are mantras or mottos that you live by. So my motto stays the same. Elaine's tends to change with depending on what she's working on in the season or if she has any challenges. Um, I'll share mine. We would love to know yours before we find out what Elaine's is. So my motto is I deserve to be here. I've had a lot of hiccups in my life. I've had a lot of successes. I deserve to be right here. Whatever's happening at this time, it's okay uh, if it's not how I thought it should be, but I deserve to be here. Terry, can you share with us what your motto for life is? Mine came from a really strange place. So in the book, I talk about the biker gang. So I am a former biker gang leader. Uh, my husband and I were uh, chapter directors for uh, chapter D of the Goldwing Road Riders Association in Georgia. And one of the things that I started saying on a continuous basis was we're always moving forward. We're always moving forward. And, and now it is now my go-to phrase, you know, I'm always moving forward because I don't want to be stagnant. I don't want my creativity to be non-existent like it used to be. I don't want to live on default mode. I'm always moving forward. I'm always growing. I'm always learning. I'm always curious. And so if I'm always moving forward, that also means I can't look backwards. Yes. I love that. I love that. So mine um, is coming from um, a reminder. I had to clean out my office because we were supposed to be getting our carpet replaced um, today and tomorrow, but the snow has postponed it. But I found this note in my pile of paperwork and it says info collector to action taker. And it was kind of like a really interesting reminder to implement what you learn as you learn it versus waiting and waiting and waiting. And I have to learn more before I can implement. I have to learn, like I find um, a lot of people are just in a constant state of collecting information and not actually implementing it. And I'm of the belief that if I don't implement it right away, I will forget about it in a week. I will forget what I just learned. So I have to take immediate action. And so um, action is, is very much for me, action cures fear, right? Like absolutely do it, right? Just do it. So five, four, three, two, one, do it. Mel Robbins, right? Just do it. Mm -hmm. So um, that is definitely uh, something that I try to embody all the time is just doing it. Even when I don't want to, I'm going to do it anyways. That's one of the things and when you overcome fear, when you're working towards things is learning to take small action steps. Um, even, you know, I just wrote uh, an article for my show next week, and it's going, it's really about understanding the power of completion and what it means to yourself. And when you don't complete something, how the ego uses it against you. And, you know, it's much better to have 10 completed projects than a half dozen uncompleted projects. And the ego will use those uncompleted projects to say, well, you're not going to complete that either. 
why are you going to start something new? You're not going to get that done. And our, when we don't complete something, our mind keeps track of those things. And even if you just say, you know what, I'm not going to complete that project because I'm no longer passionate about it. Take it off your list. And for some reason, your ego will say, okay, it's done. But you have to be able to say those things that are not complete. Either you're going to do it or you're not going to do it and figure out why you're not doing it. A lot of people say they don't have time or they don't have enough information, which Elaine is what you're pointing to. And what the reality is, a lot of it is fear. A lot of it is procrastination. A lot of it is really about not knowing how to take the next step. And it's about making those, taking those big action steps and putting them into smaller steps, baby steps and, and move, do something, move it forward every day, move yes. it forward every day. Love that. Love that. Oh my gosh, Sherry, you are dropping so many knowledge bombs <laughs> on us. Thank you. Um, you know, today that it's just really, we're truly honored to, to have you on uh, the podcast. Uh, tell us where more people can find out more information about your soul solutions, because I know that that is not only um, a business venture for you, but it's also where you help people, um, you know, on one-to-one and a group base on a group, group basis. So if you could just tell everyone where they can find you, that would be fantastic. Okay. My main website is terrykozlowski.com. The book is raventranscendingfear.com and the soulsolutionspodcast.com is where you can find the podcast. And I, the article that I write every week turns into the podcast. So, you know, whether, cause my son said, mom, you need a podcast. Why do I need a podcast? Because you're going to get a different audience. And I absolutely have completely different audience that read the blog versus listen to the podcast versus watch it on YouTube. So it's very, very different audiences. And I want to help as many people as I can. And they can reach to me. I'm all across social media and they can reach out to me at any of those places. But if you go to the, to the main website, terrykozlowski.com, you'll be able to find everything. Awesome. And we will put links in the show notes for anyone listening, going, how do I spell that? Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> we will drop a link so people can easily click and uh, go right to your website. So thank you. Yeah. So thank you so much for coming and hanging out with us today and sharing some really juicy nuggets. We hope that, uh, our listeners are having some takeaways and, um, you know, it's, it's always a great start to, uh, you know, the new year is right upon us and it's going to be a great episode to come into the new year with. So thank you. Thank you very much for having me. It was a pleasure. Thank you, everyone. Take care.